1: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney, standing here. Summer is here, and when summer comes, we get youth groups, college, high school, everything start to uh, infuse into the state to see what Mormonism is all about. These are a bunch of Christian kids from Arkansas and Texas, Arkansas and Texas. Let's say your names really quickly. Go ahead.
0: Andrew. Mark. Nick.
2: Nicole. Zach.
1: And now, before, Nicole's going to read a little verse for you, and but we have an interesting story here that I'm going to tell you right here. This is Jessica. We're going to do a close-up on her face. Look closely at Jessica's face right here. Look at that. Look at that. You know what happened? As a group, they went to Temple Square and... <laughs> While they were there, Jessica and a sister missionary started getting violently aggressive with each other, and it turned into a major catfight. fight. And they're pulling hair, and then one of the apostles came out and started kicking Jessica in the head. And then Thomas Monson got her in a chokehold and slammed her down, but she stood up and punched him. And no, we're just kidding. What happened, Jessica? Tell the audience. I was playing basketball and got elbowed. <laughs> My story's much better. By her own teammate. By her own teammate, right? The youth, the youth are great. We love having them in the studio audience. And we have people actually from all over the world in the studio audience. Bubby's returned from England with his wife this time. Great to see her. And we're going to have a scripture right now. Ephesians 2, 8 and
2: 9. For it is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is from God. Not by works so that no one can boast.
0: Amen.
1: Oh, they are naturals, aren't they? Thank you, Youth of America. As you know, Heart of the Matter can be seen uh, here live on television throughout Utah, Idaho, streaming video uh, through anywhere in the world by going to hotm.tv, check it out. How about some Sunday activities that might help you uh, renew your mind as you search for truth? First from 1 to 2 p.m. a.m. 820, The Truth replays Heart of the Matter programs as you're driving into our Never Denominational Bible Study from 2.30 to 3.30 at the U U, Check that out. Now some people are afraid of that word Bible study and so uh, they're they're hesitant to join us. So we wanted to give you a little uh, video insight of what happens at our Bible study. Let's show that right now. Oh, sorry, that was my, my, my middle daughter Cassidy's first date. Let's uh, really, we want to show you what happens to the Bible study. Let's show that now.
0: Hey, be all alive. Hey, be all alive pay me your see what God dawn has done. Get down, get down, get down.
1: They're really fun, a lot of great fellowship there, very natural and relaxed, so join us there. You can go to hotm.tv to find out for more information. After the Bible study, there's a group called You're Not Alone, and it's for people coming out of Mormonism. It's led by Earl and his wife, Carla, and uh, it's where people uh, get together and they just talk about the pressures and difficulties with family, understanding doctrine and stuff like that. A great group gather. So, again, uh, you can get all information, actually, at www.calvarycampus.com. Calvarycampus.com for information about that. As the political Forums steadily grow in heat and expand out toward 2012. More and more Christians are looking at this uh, growing list of candidates, and they say, what are we supposed to do? And what is the biblical mandate on my life relative to politics and and reform and elections and things like that? Well, we have some ideas on this straight from the Word of God. Join us Wednesday evening at 6 p.m., July 6th, July 6th, 6 p.m. at Wheeler Farm as I've been invited to speak on this very topic. Check this out. Hi, we're back. Um, There's a lot of talking heads out there when it comes to uh, Christianity and politics. They're essentially full of it. So uh, come and get challenged. Hear the truth. Wednesday night, July 6th, 6 p.m., Wheeler's Farm. Affordable automotive. Affordable automotive. That is my own personal commercial for affordable automotive, which I love. Christian mechanic who deals squarely is, uh, we'll tell you what's going on, check out the information on the screen for uh, their contact information if you're having difficulty with your cars. Again, this is not a paid advertisement, nor do we get breaks for doing it, we just want to support the uh, local community of Christians here in the state. We have people positioned all around now, the U.S. and even parts of the world, to help you transition out of Mormonism and into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To contact one of our Alathea representatives who lives in your area, write us, and we will put you in contact with them through email. So get your pencils and papers out and take note of someone who might live in your area if you're looking for some fellowship and answers. Let's run this list. I've got no
0: one to talk to anymore. Can't no sugar from next door. And no though my thoughts.
1: contact us, sean at alathia.media.com, and we will put you in contact with one of those people in your area. Now, if you're interested in becoming an Alathia representative, email us at the same address, and we will put you through the short uh, questionnaire, and then we put that on file. And also, if you're a representative, be patient with us. We are a small staff, and we're working on putting this all together so we can keep you informed and uh, even have a get-together in the future for uh, representatives to kind of talk and share. Uh, Things like that. Okay, how about a moment from the Word? We've been going verse by verse. Uh, and kind of reading through the book of Matthew and seeing what topics are there relative to Mormonism and Christianity, more in Matthew Matthew chapter 17, and we come upon the, the story or the account of the Mount of Transfiguration. Now the LDS have said some really twisted stuff about what this was. Growing up in the church, I was always taught that it was on this Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus goes up and he's transfigured. The brightness of his glory shines out from him. That that was where Jesus received his temple endowments. That that was what was going on on the Mount of Transfiguration. Blech. I'm going to read from a combination of all the synoptic gospel accounts to get the clearest picture of this event. So we're going to be referencing, of course, Matthew 17, 1 through 8, then Mark 9, 2 through 8, and Luke 9, 28 through 36, which give us a a comprehensive view of exactly what took place. So let me tell you what happens. It says in Matthew, and after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? It means Jesus, who at the time was between his suffering uh, in the wilderness and his suffering on the cross, was transformed. Uh, he was, became a visual manifestation of the glory that dwelt within him. Remember in John it says, and the, and the word became flesh. Well, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus' flesh kind of stepped aside for a second, however it happened, and the glory of who he was shined forth. Verse 2 says, And his clothing became shining exceedingly white as snow, such as no fuller on earth could whiten them. Now, beside Peter, James, and John, who else was there? It says, And Elijah, with Moses, was seen by them, and they were talking with Jesus... And it was in this bright white cloud. Now, of all the prophets, why were Moses and Elijah specifically there when the glory of Jesus was revealed on this mount? Why wasn't it Isaiah or Jeremiah or Samuel or David or Abraham? It's because these two people, Moses and Elijah, represented the law, Moses, and the prophets, Elijah. Moses represented the law because it was Moses who gave the law to the children of Israel. And Elijah represented the prophets. Why do you suppose it was Elijah? Well, of all the prophets, Elijah was kind of the radical prophet of prophets. And he had one of the most amazing ministries in the Old Covenant. Both Moses and Elijah had deaths that were unusual to other men possibly because they were gonna be using their bodies here on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that Moses disappeared alone up into the mountains and his burial was kind of suspect. And we also read, I think it's in Titus or Jude, that Satan fought with Michael the archangel over his physical body after he died. So, and then we also know that Elijah... He ascended into a fiery chariot in a, in, a, in a whirlwind. So he took his body with him when he ascended up into heaven, which was unique. Interestingly enough, both returned here in these bodies that so strangely disappeared before. Why? The Jewish Targum, which is a... Uh, uh, kind of a uh, rough reading of what the scriptures say, says that the coming of Moses is connected to the coming of the Messiah. That's one of the first things. Another Jewish tradition predicts that the Messiah's appearance would be coincided, would coincide with the, a vision of or an appearance of Elijah. So what did Moses and Elijah talk about with Jesus when he was transfigured? Luke tells us, saying, and they spake of his death which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. The cloud which overshadowed uh, the witnesses, Peter, James, and John, was bright-like, light, luminous, and was the same brightness that Moses experienced when he received the law. It was the same brightness that Elijah uh, went up into the heavens in a whirlwind in this bright light. And it was the same brightness that uh, was there when Jesus ascends into heaven. This brightness was there at all three. Moses and Elijah and Jesus Christ being there, it was a witness that uh, that the spirit of the lawgiver Moses and the spirit of the prophets accepted the sufferings of the Messiah and that this Messiah was going to be the link between the Old Testament law and the prophets and the new covenant of grace. And it furnishes a striking proof of the unity between those two covenants. In other words, Jesus Christ is the link between the Old and New Testaments, between heaven and earth, between the kingdom of grace and the kingdom of law and uh, kingdom of debt and between God and man. Um, It is very significant. At the end of this scene, it says, and while they talked, a voice came from out of a cloud saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him, right? Law and prophets now fulfilled, done. It's all given to him there on that mount. It's all in Jesus' hands now. And the voice says, hear my beloved son. And then verse eight in Mark 8, 9, 9, 8 says, and suddenly looking around, they did not see anyone anymore except Jesus alone with themselves, with Peter, James, and John. And what that typifies is this is now how it is. There's no more law and prophets. There is Jesus and our relationship to him. The voice of God saying, here is my beloved son in whom I'm well placed. Hear him. And then when they looked again, it's only Jesus standing there. That's a model for us here in our lives. Our ability to stay on the air is directly related to your support and prayer and in in any other way the Lord leads you. So please consider this next message.
0: On the turning away from the pale and downtrodden, and the words they say which we won't understand. Don't accept that what's happening. It's just a case of all the suffering Oh, you'll find that you're joining in The turning away No more turning Yeah
1: Have a word of prayer heavenly father we uh come to you humbly we need you Uh, we're just human beings trying to know you better so we pray you'll pour your spirit out upon our audience wherever they may be we pray that you'll be with our volunteers and our staff and people who are operating the phones and cameras and technical things that can always go wrong be with me and the things i say if they're not of you let them disappear and if they're of you let them take root in people's hearts and minds as we talk about the truth of your gospel relative to Mormonism. In Jesus' name, amen. We've established the ground, or the societal background, which Joseph Smith was raised. This ground consisted of early American political opinions, anti-Catholic attitudes, a very unique Protestant culture, and an intense interest at that time in Native American origins. Don't discount the amount of influence these factors had on the mind of the boy Joseph Smith because, as we have seen, they not only helped forge his personal worldview of how he saw things, but they actually found their way into the narrative of the Book of Mormon. But these elements would only serve as the foundation for his worldview and the book that he authored. Tonight, we're going to introduce you to what helped create the very seed of the Book of Mormonian. And it's his familial influences, particularly his mother and his father. Now, LDS prophets and apostles have long said that parents have a profound influence upon children. In a speech called "Worthy Fathers, Worthy Sons," given in 1985, LDS President and Prophet Ezra Taff Benson said, "Good fathers teach their sons." And good sons listen and obey end quote. I'm not in necessarily in disagreement with this uh, view, but I would only suggest that the LDS see the influence Joseph Smith's father had on him. Uh, for this reason, it's vitally important in understanding the concept, and the construction and the content of the Book of Mormon to look carefully at the facts surrounding the lives and attitudes of Joseph Smith, Jr.'s parents and even his grandparents. Before Joseph Smith, Jr. was born in the winter of 1805, the foundation for Mormonism was already well established in and around the Smith home, in part by his paternal grandparents and his father and mother. Grandfather Smith... His father's father, whose name was Assail, was successful and extremely opinionated on the subject of religion, God, liberty, and individual freedom. Asale did not like organized religion at all and was a staunch universalist in his opinions. At the same time, he was looking for somebody to restore the primitive church of Jesus Christ back to the earth. Contrary to what Jesus and the Bible says, that the gates of hell would not prevail against the gospel he established, universalists believe that everyone, everyone, whoever comes to earth will be saved. Um, Such thinking would play an enormous role in the thinking and theology that Joseph Jr. would present by way of Mormonism in the years to come especially in his doctrine of there being many levels of heaven and no real hell, except for guys like me. According to public records of December 6, 1797, many years before the prophet Joseph was born, Grandfather Assail, his own father Joseph Sr., and his uncle Jesse attached their names to the founding charter of the Universalist Society in Turnbridge, Vermont. This was the only organized religion Joseph Smith's father would ever join, except for Joseph's religion many decades later. Universalism was, in essence, an anti-sectarian position, because if everyone goes to heaven, then all religions, no matter what they say or do, are kind of correct and okay. This is important because Joseph Smith's father refused to touch any religion that did not meet his specific requirements, including that all people must be saved. In addition to being a universalist, Joseph Smith's grandfather Assail also believed, like many early Americans did, that this country was set apart by God as a land of liberty and peace and a place of free uh, free of religious oppression. This theme, which we're gonna explore in detail much later, would also appear in the pages of the Book of Mormon. In 1 Nephi 220, Nephi who was supposedly in Jerusalem at the time is told by God that the land he's going to travel to is saying it says, "Ye shall be led to a land of promise, yea, even a land which I have prepared for you, yea, a land which is choice above all other lands." This was a common theme in early America and was a very big theme in the belief uh, and in the heart of uh, grandfather a and Joseph Smith's father. Again, ask yourself, did these words that you read in the Book of Mormon come from Joseph Smith's grandfather and father and their influence, or were they actually inscribed on some golden plates that were uh, supposedly hidden in a hill and later dug up by Joseph? I propose these attitudes came by way of the latter. In the teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, it quotes him as saying himself, quote, it is a love of liberty which inspires my soul, civil and religious liberty to the whole of the human race. Love of liberty was diffused into my soul by my grandfathers while they dandled me on their knees, end quote. Hand in hand with the Smith's patriarchs, universalist attitudes, and the belief that America was chosen by God as a land of liberty, they also believed, Joseph's father and grandfather, that the Church of Christ would day be, be restored back to the earth. Uh, those who believed in this at the time, and there were many in the United States, were called restorationists or uh, primitivists, 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 Uh, Even before Joseph Jr. was born, his grandfather believed that it would be through the actual Smith family that the gospel would be restored back to the earth in the American continent. George Q. Cannon, LDS Apostle, wrote in his book, Life of Joseph Smith the Prophet, that Joseph's grandfather Asale said, quote, It has been born upon my soul that one of my descendants will promulgate a work to revolutionize the world of religious faith. Okay, that's Joseph Smith's great-great-grandfather saying these things before Joseph was born. The last time young Joseph Smith Jr. saw his paternal grandparents... A sales wife had him sitting there and she communicated to him that he was a "A special boy who had a special work that he must do for God and that he must, quote, always follow the teachings of his father and mother so he would be prepared when the time came, quote, for God to call upon him to accomplish the work he was destined to perform, end quote. From a very young age, Joseph Smith Jr. had it instilled in him that he was destined to perform something about restoring uh, the true church to this free American continent by the hand of God. After Joseph Smith was assassinated, Brigham Young glorified the Smiths family uh, completely as recorded in the Journal of Discourses 7 colon 289 saying, quote, The Lord had his eye upon him and upon his father and upon his father's father and upon the progenitors clear back to Abraham and from Abraham to the flood, from the flood to Enoch and from Enoch to Adam. He watched that family and that blood as it circulated from its foundation to the birth of that man, end quote. Huge position that Brigham Young just put Joseph Smith in. B.H. Roberts, one-time history of the church, wrote that Joseph's grandfather, Assail, told the would-be prophet when he was a boy that God has brought us, the Smith family, into this land of peace and liberty. Grandpa Smith continued, I believe he, God, is about to bring all the world into the same beatitude in his own time and way. And I believe that the stone is now cut out of the mountain without hands, spoken of by the prophet Daniel, and has smitten the image upon his feet, by which all... Monarchical and ecclesiastical tyranny will be broken into pieces that there should be no place found for them, End quote. Later, as the prophet of the church, Joseph Smith echoed these very sentiments taught to him by his grandparents when he was just a young boy. And he said, quote, I, speaking of himself, Joseph Smith, calculate to be one of the instruments of setting up the kingdom of Daniel by the word of the Lord. And I intend to lay a foundation that will revolutionize the whole world. It will not be by the sword or gun that this kingdom will roll on. The power of truth is such that all nations will be under the necessity of obeying the gospel. What he's saying there is Mormonism is going to rule the world. And all nations will be under the necessity of obeying their gospel. It was part of their charter from the onset of Mormonism. And then there are actually Christian people out there who endorse LDS political candidates. It's unbelievable. From a a child, Joseph was taught that the primitive religion of God was taken from the earth and that America was a sacred place, that the restored gospel would come forth, and that he, in fact, would be the one to bring it back to earth. The impact and influence from Joseph Jr.'s paternal side on these views were powerful and obvious. What else do we know about his father? In 1802, three years before Joseph Jr. was born, Joseph Smith Sr. invested a lot of money in the family, of the families into an overseas ginseng business. This business failed miserably uh, because of an untrusted friend and it left the Smith family in financial destitution where it stayed for most of their adult lives. Uh, For at least the next 20 years, the Smith family struggled greatly to even exist. Two years after the Ginseng debacle, Joseph Smith Jr., the prophet, was born. I'm fairly certain that he was part of a loving family and uh, parents who cared for them. I think they were possibly a very close family. They didn't seem to lack an in, uh, in, in affection to one toward another. Uh, I think the family unit played a significant role in the development of Joseph Jr. and what he ultimately portrayed to the world. With the exception of his early years being married to Emma and a couple sojourns into jail... Uh, He was in close proximity to his father and his mother his whole life, or as long as they were alive. After the ginseng affair, history tends to indicate that Joseph Smith's father entered a period of self-doubt, which included a long-term alcohol abuse problem and a penchant for getting rich quick through schemes like folk magic. We're going to cover all that in depth as time goes on in the future. But in addition to poverty, alcohol abuse, and attitude against all organized religions and seeking for buried treasure, Joseph Smith Sr. was also a dreamer of dreams. Uh, his wife reports that her husband experienced seven impactful dreams well before Joseph Smith Jr. was 10 years of age. Because of time constraints, I'm not going to cover all seven of these dreams, but I'm going to touch on just one of them. And then we're going to go to the phones, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. Try to imagine the setting. Here is a large, poor, dirt poor family in a cabin out in the country without much hope of any future. Joseph Smith is a little guy. It's snowing outside, and Joseph Smith Sr., in all probability, has tied at least one or two on. Uh, But the children want a story. We want a story, Daddy. We want a story. And Joseph and and Lucy are very mystical, very mystically-minded people about folk magic, spirits, they would call them, about religion. And uh, Father Joseph, he dreamed dreams, and Mother Lucy, she saw visions. All of this is noted in the history. And so there's no television and there's no radio and the chillings, they just want to have a story. Daddy, give us a story, please. And share one of daddy's dreams. Share one of them. So daddy starts telling one of his dreams and Lucy records these dreams. This was when he was a boy, okay? And this is what one of the dreams she writes and how it goes. Father Smith finds himself in a deserted field. He follows a path that takes him to a crystal stream of water. He walks up to find the, most, the source of the water and discovers the most beautiful tree he had ever seen in the midst of a valley. The tree bore fruit whiter than snow. Its taste was delicious beyond description. He said to himself, I can't eat it all alone. I must get my wife and children that they can partake with me. And he brought his wife and seven children and they ate the fruit and praised God. On the other side of the valley was a spacious building with many doors and windows filled with people who were dressed in fine clothes and they began to point at Joseph and his family and mock them with great contempt. At this time, he understood that the fruit they were eating was the pure love of God that fills the hearts of all those who love and keep His commandments. His guide told him that all of his children were not there and he must get them. He went a short distance and got two small children. They ate their fruit using both hands. In conclusion, the same guide told him that the spacious building represented Babylon and its scorn and those who pointed uh, despise the true saints of God in their humility. That's the story that Lucy Max Smith, Joseph Smith's mother, would uh, recorded that her husband had this dream. If you're familiar with the Book of Mormon at all, you'll recognize this dream that Joseph's father used to tell. Why? It's essentially retold in the Book of Mormonian. There, Lehi, a Jew 600 years before Christ, the one who takes his family out of Jerusalem, he's a visionary man as well. And he has a dream vision which he shares. In First Nephi 8, 9-10 says, we're going to show it on the screen. And it came to pass that after I prayed unto the Lord, I beheld a large and spacious field. And it came to pass that I beheld a tree whose fruit was desirable to make one happy. And it came to pass I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof. And I beheld that it was most sweet above all I have ever tasted, yea. And I beheld the fruit thereof was white to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. And as I partook of the fruit thereof, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. Wherefore, I began desirous that my family should partake of it also. For I knew that it was desirable above all other fruit. Then the Book of Mormon continues to describe Lehi seeing a river of water, and he sees where the river comes from. And when he sees that, he spots his family. This is all in the Book of Mormon. And he wants them to eat too. And then we come to verse 26 and 27, which we'll end with tonight. And the Book of Mormon says, And I also cast my eyes round about, and behold, there is the other side of the river of water, a great and spacious building, as it stood, as it were, in the air, high above the earth. And it was filled with people, both old and young, male and female, and their manner of dress was exceedingly fine. And they were in the attitude of mocking and pointing their fingers toward those who had come and were partaking of the fruit. And we don't think that Joseph Smith's parents had any influence on this Book of Mormon do you think that Joseph Smith's father had these dreams and, and he was having these, which one do you want me to look at? This one? And he's having these dreams and, uh, and they find their way into the Book of Mormon text, which supposedly is supposed to come from golden plates? Come on, man. Come on. <laughs> Next week, we're going to examine further uh, what Joseph Smith's father contributed and his mother. We have Megan from Canada, a first-time caller. We'll come back on some other questions. Uh, Megan, you're on Heart of the Matter.
2: Oh, hi, Sean. It's great talking to you. I love your show.
1: Thanks so much. Welcome.
2: Yeah, thanks for taking my call. I have a question for you. Um, I would like to know why you think the LDS Church is not honest about its uh, history. and Because uh, I was raised in the church, and uh, you're given a very whitewashed, sugar-coated version of uh, the history.
1: Yeah. Well... For, for one thing, I think, Megan, they're starting to more and more. They let out aspects of it because they're having to do it because of the Internet. But uh, they don't teach it because uh, they want to get in their young people and their teens and in their adults this hardcore belief before these ugly facts are, are heard. I think if they started teaching them these far-fetched facts from the beginning, they would not have the retention or the conversion rate that they do. So they get people totally inculcated by um, the uh, activities and the fellowship and the spirit of Mormonism, which is often very familial and fun and nice. And, and they bear testimony week after week after, uh, and you hear all that and you get so believing. And then when you hear something that is not been taught to you, your immediate reaction is, that's a lie. Or your immediate reaction is, look at that guy, he couldn't be telling the truth, there's something wrong with him. And Or, I don't want to know the truth, it's just too hard to bear, I don't believe it, it's just the devil trying to take me off the truth. And so I think that's part of the whole plan.
2: Do you you find that rather hypocritical when a church is so, upholds the truth to be so important and believing in the truth and following the truth, yet they're not truthful about their history?
1: You know, Megan, people get uh, really disturbed at my anger sometimes on the show. And my anger comes from the fact that they are such liars sorry, the anger's coming out again. I mean they they, they it, like it you is sa-
2: hypocritical, isn't it? It's yes. very ironic. Like uh, um they're they're speaking about how important the truth is and following the truth and knowing the truth, yet they're not truthful about the history.
1: It's unbelievable. It's absolutely it unbelievable. So I don't I don't know, you know, it, and, and so you try to fight it and, and, and so how did you come out? You understood it? You you believed in the Mormon church? Actually
2: I was raised in the Mormon Church, and I've, I've been inactive for 14 years. I haven't gone. Um, my mom actually came across the history at the church, and she wasn't looking for dirt. She was just looking into the history. Yeah. And she came across something she found disturbing, and she got looking deeper and uh, found all this out and told me. And then I've been on my own journey of, of looking into the history and have come across uh, everything that you talk about on the show, the contradictions between the, the Book of Mormon and the Bible and the Book of Mormon contradicting itself. Yeah. And I'm still a very strong Christian. Like I I Good. believe in Jesus Christ and he will always be my savior. But I can't I I was even thinking of going back to the church, but I, I won't now because of what I know.
1: Good. Good.
2: I couldn't go back. I'd feel like a hypocrite. The biggest thing that bothered me, one of them, was the uh, polygamy and the polyandry. I didn't even know what polyandry was until I got looking into the history. And there is no way that God commanded Joseph Smith to practice polygamy. And there's no way that he told him to marry women who already had husbands.
1: Exactly. You are absolutely right. All you got to do is look at the history. UTLM.org, my friends out there, Read uh, Todd Compton's in Sacred Loneliness. He's an LDS author who gives you all the facts about Joseph's polygamy and how that all came about. Read Doctrine and Covenants 132. We're not, she's not making this up. I'm not making it up. Really good call. Thanks so much, Megan.
2: Oh, um, Sean, can I ask you, I'm, I know I'm only supposed to ask one question. This is a yes or no question. It's really important to me, and I'd love to get your opinion. It's a quick yes or no. Okay. Okay. Um, on my resignation letter that I want to send this week, should I have my membership number on it? Yes or no? Is it important?
1: No. You don't need it.
2: Okay. That's, oh, perfect. I, I thought that maybe if you had your membership number on it, it made the process go faster.
1: Well, I mean, if you know it, uh, then it probably couldn't hurt. But, I, I mean, if you put your name, full name, date of birth, where you're living, I, they probably know exactly who you are. So and, and the reason I'm so emphatic on... On on no, you don't need to, is because other people might resist doing it because they don't know their number. The number's not necessary.
2: Perfect. Thank you so much. That's all I needed to know, and thank you for answering my questions.
1: Thanks for watching. God bless.
2: Okay, same to you. Bye. bye
1: Bye-bye. Listen, you know what happens? This is something. We get in dialogue with the LDS and and you meet some missionaries, or you're at Temple Square and you're talking, and they will take something like grace versus works. And they'll throw in James chapter 2, and they'll quote that, and you'll get into this big thing. That is one minuscule topic to a mountain, the size of, of the Wasatch Mountain Range, of what Mormonism has problems with. They will come and they'll try to get you all uh, obfuscated in the Bible and think, well, are we saved by grace? And what does that mean in James? When, you know, you look at Joseph Smith, you look at the First Vision, you look at the Doctrine and Covenants, you look at the Pearl of Great Price, you look at his early morning, uh, morning, his early uh, polygamy practices, you look at blood atonement, you look, you look, you look, it's just unending, an and then, uh, but they will try to trap you with one little thing about Christianity and tie you all up. Don't do it. You know, don't do it. Okay, uh, we have an off-air question. Scroll it down. It says, how... Uh, how do you find out if Thomas Monson is a millionaire? You, I don't know how you would find that out. I don't know if you can find that out, but I said on the show uh, several years back, I would bet my bottom dollar he is, any amount. This is a man who cut his teeth working for the church, And uh, Boyd K. Packer, I imagine he has a net worth that's really up there. How did these guys who aren't uh, paid clergy become so wealthy? You can find that. You can look at some of our shows on the financial meanderings of the church. And there's also some books out there. The Mormon Corporate Empire is a really good one to check out. And it'll, it'll show you how they do it through their board positions that they're given. Okay, a woman out of California wrote, What's your opinion about the We Agree with Moroni 818 evangelism campaign supported by Bill McKeever of MRM? Some understand the campaign as a way to expose the falseness of eternal progression. Others vehemently oppose agreeing with the Mormons on anything at all because they feel like agreement with them. Okay, bottom line, what it is, is there's a method of reaching Mormons where they use (coughs) the Book of Mormon to reach the LDS. I personally don't like the method because the Book of Mormon is a fraud. So you're using a fraudulent book to prove a person a fraud. And so I, I just, I don't, I don't really like the method, but I fully and completely uh, give anybody the right to use any method that's reasonable. I don't believe that it's reasonable to be out at Temple Square screaming through a megaphone that the Mormons are going to hell. I don't think it's reasonable for Christians to be carrying around giant wooden crosses or to take uh, LDS sacred garments and hold them up and mock them uh, or to reveal their, their temple ceremony. I don't think it's reasonable because while we have a hotly debated topic, and I do make fun sometimes, I have been LDS 40 years, it's always about this interchange. But I don't believe in, in, in going beyond reasonableness. But let me add, our ministry is not uh, affiliated with anybody anywhere. Uh, We have brothers and sisters who are supportive and we're supportive of them and their ministerial efforts. We're not tied to, connected to, affiliated with any denomination, any political party, any ministry or individual. I personally, there's people in my ministry I love, my own family who love Facebook. I think it's evil. I can't stand it. I think everything about it is of the flesh and I think it's a gossip and I think it's a self-promoting thing and I think, uh, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is evidenced in that thing. I know I'm not going to make any any friends here, but I, I personally think it's a bastion for gloating. Yeah, you can share what you're doing at that hour of the day, but I think so much time is just wasted with the thing. So uh, uh, I, I would just want to say that uh, finally, uh, just on the topic of ministries, because I think it's important, Some two people asked me over the course of the week, what do you think about that guy on your TV station who on Wednesday nights, he's covering the Book of Mormon too, and they're talking about a guy named Jason Wallace. He has a, a show called Ancient Paths and airs here on Wednesday night from 8 to 9, I believe. Now, I don't know much about Jason, his show, and because I'm typically not in town on Wednesday, but anyone called by God to reach the LDS through any means reasonable is okay by me. More power to him. Uh, frankly, to any other ministry out there who focuses on the LDS, I'm, I'm happy. Um, you know, the whole gig is it's not about our ministry, this ministry, my friends. It's about getting many good, hardworking, believing Latter-day Saints to know, and even the bad ones, to know Jesus and so that he can free them from the deceptions that hold them bound. Uh, so whether it's Jason Wallace or Doris Hansen or pioneers like Utah Lighthouse Ministry or Bill McKeever, whomever, if they are on the Lord's errand and they're sharing his word, they are our brothers and sisters and they have our total support. That being said, I do have huge problems with some Christian people who believe or have been led to believe that they are the Christian spokespeople For the body here in Utah, and then they actually endorse LDS leaders, they break bread with them, they they endorse LDS politicians. Every Christian ought to have a problem with anybody who endorses an LDS politician. Let me speak plainly. Whenever Mormonism gets a foot in the door, it gets on, on on a strong position in this world, um, it is Mormonism that wins, and uh, for any Christian to endorse a Latter-day Saint politically, whoever that political person might be, it's, egregious, it's as egregious as if they uh, finance 100,000 Mormon missionaries to go out into the world and teach Mormonism. That's how bad it is, and yet in this state, we got a bunch of people who are really, truly believing Christians who actually endorse they the political candidates that Mormonism might come up with, past, present, or future. Uh, don't stand for this, my friends. Uh, if there is a brother or sister out there endorsing an LDS candidate for any public office, withdraw your support. I'm telling you, because it's exactly what is embedded in their uh, charter for their history, and they're looking for, like it says it from its inception, world domination. Okay, we are going to go to... Uh, Mickey, a female who's LDS. Mickey, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, hello. Hi, Mickey. Hi. You need to turn your TV down or we're not going to be able to converse. Okay. I was just searching for the mute button, actually. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's all right.
0: Um, I was hoping that you would give, as you, you're giving a lot of facts. Yeah. Without um, giving any. Uh, indication of where they came from. So I was hoping that you would give references when you give these,
1: these facts. It's good. We often do. Uh, sometimes I don't just because of time. I've been traveling, I've flown back and forth to California three times in the past three days. And I just didn't have the resources to do them. But that being said, Mickey, you can go to www.utlm.org and you will find references for anything I've said uh, on here, unless it was my opinion. Uh, but in terms of quotes, these are not made up. And uh, if you really want them, uh, email us and I'll get them, I'll send them to you.
0: Okay, so that's
2: www.utlm?
1: Yes, .org. .org. Yeah. Okay. And go in and you can, you can scroll, you can find any quote from the original sources, LDS sources, on the things we're saying. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for watching. Hi. Okay, bye. We're going to Nancy in Clinton, Utah. Nancy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi.
0: Um, I called. Um, you did. I, I have a son who married a Mormon girl, and then a couple of years later, he, he uh, was baptized into the uh, LDS church, uh-huh. which at the time really devastated me. Yeah, um, I did a lot, a lot of research. That was uh, seven, eight years ago now. Uh huh. But my question is: They have since divorced. He has custody of all five children because <laughs> they had one child after another. Um, what if he if he is slowly breaking away from the church, which I think he is doing okay should he get his name taken off of the rolls? and um, is it important to do that and why
1: well here's the problem um, is his wife still active Mormon they're divorced no she actually uh, she
0: has become a drug addict and in jail and all kinds of stuff like that I I truly believe it. it's the
1: hypocrisy of her family. Yeah, well, she with when it comes to he can take his name off, but with children, you got to get the uh, permission from both parents. So it becomes and, it becomes a very strange deal. And bottom line, in order to if he let's say that he took his name off the records of the church, hers are still on. She gets clean, she gets out of prison, and. Uh, and she starts going to church, she could actually uh, be sealed to another uh, man if she got permission from the prophet and have those children sealed to her and another man. Not that it means anything. It's just myth-making. But, I, I get it. Yeah. I, get, I understand what, you, what
0: you're saying. Yeah. Um, my other question is, me being, I'm a Christian,
1: uh-huh. and I
0: feel kind of torn about this, but if, Oh, lost my train of thought. It wouldn't be safer for his children if he did stay L, stay LDS.
1: Oh, safer and what? Well, I mean, are they, Pardon me? As a male LDS
0: person.
1: Uh, I don't really, you know, I don't think you ever go wrong uh, by throwing your whole heart and soul into following the Lord Jesus Christ and abandoning as much falsehood as we can while we're alive. So to... Or he's doing it as, you know for some safety reason, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. If it's for continuity of the family to work things through, that's another thing. Every circumstance is going to be different, and it's impossible without talking to him and hearing his heart to really good, give a, good advice on this. The best thing I can say is uh, just keep praying and, uh, and, and, and hope uh, and pray that the Lord is going to step in and do some miracles in his life, in his children's life, and in the ex-wife's uh, wife's life. Best I can do, my friend. Well, I thank you very much. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Uh, we're going to Bill in Ogden. Bill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello. Hello, Bill. Uh, my question was, uh,
0: where did Joseph Smith come up with the Adam God doctrine? And I, uh, I'm i 54 years old. I was uh, raised in the Mormon church, not... Uh, uh, strictly, uh, but I went off and on till I was about 18, and I'm a seminary grad, all that stuff. But I never once heard anything about the Adam god doctrine until uh, within the I don't know the past year, I guess.
1: Yeah, it was it was Brigham Young, uh, not Joseph, that really threw down on that. He taught it was gospel truth. He said it was doctrine. We have the quotes. Utlm.org. You can read them there absolutely taught that adam was uh, a god and god he came really thought that, but where did Bingham get it that oh what, did he claimed revelation he claimed revelation on that one i'm pretty sure joseph made oh, jo- okay i got you uh, jo- i guess that's why uh, they um, Yeah, Joseph may have planted a seed somewhere and and said something that related to it, but Brigham is the one who took it and ran with it big time. Of course, the LDS Church today renounces that and says it was not a doctrine, but they're wrong. Brigham Young taught it as doctrine, absolute fact, and that's another deception that they make. Great call, Bill. Thanks so much. Thank you. Okay, bye. All right, uh, Newell Shirley out of Texas says... uh, Uh, I was real close to joining the LDS church. I had to hurry up. Uh, They hurried up a baptismal date set for me, and I decided to do some research, found your show. Uh, I was so close to being deceived, and uh, thank God I wasn't. From Italy, Francesco is considering starting an Italian ministry to the LDS He's LDS, he came to know the truth, he came out, his wife is coming out, family is giving him a hard time, he wants to know if he should start a ministry there in Italy. Absolutely, start a ministry in Italian to those people, use anything you want of ours, freely, whatever you, whatever you need, you do it and keep going, Francesco. Jeremy Hulsey says, uh, "Where? why were you ever a member, Sean? And don't give me this junk about how you were brainwashed or was inducted into a cult. And he writes, C-O-L-T. You have made your own choices from day one, and you at one time chose to believe in the church. I can't believe from one day you woke up and said it's all fake. From the beginning of the LDS church, has been nothing but truth and service. There is nothing biased or secret in our church. If you have questions or problems, please contact me back. I will have no problem talking to you and answering all your loosely based questions. Uh, I want you to know, Jeremy, you got to stop smoking crack before you write these uh, emails, dude. Because, Jeremy, uh, there are so many secrets, so much deception, so much that you uh, you are absolutely misled on. And I'm sorry for you for that. You know, I was misled once, too. I once drank the, the, the Kool-Aid and walked around and, and bore my testimony too, Jeremy. Uh, I wasn't inducted into a cult. I was born into the church, and I was taught from cradle till, till 37 years of age. Uh, this is the only true church on the face of the earth, and, uh, and, I, and, I, and I believed it, and the lights came on, and uh, I absolutely uh, had a revelation, and I came to know that the facts are far more important than feelings. Uh, Jeremy. And so go to www.utlm.org. I was there today. Picked up a book. Great place for a lot of good information. Check that thing out. All right. If a person is leaving the LDS church, uh, I don't know what that is. They're not done typing. We'll let them finish. Uh, Larry writes that he just found on KSL a reformed Egyptian characters are being sold. Uh, Quote, this beautiful artistic reproduction is made of solid steel with a gold plate handle. It's perfect for Father's Day, and it uh, has decorative sword. It's like a decorative sword that you see in shops. Symbolism can be found throughout the sword's design, and the blade is etched with, quote, reformed Egyptian characters. Unbelievable. Finally, uh, we've got one minute left. Wayne says, you made a brief statement concerning the condition of marriage in heaven. I really appreciate you openly admitting that we don't have the details on heaven for sure. I lost my sweetheart of 42 years last December. We were very close and deeply in love. I have been in a state of emotional turmoil since the day I came home from work and found her dead. I'm familiar with my Savior's words concerning marriage in heaven. and I'm trying to reconcile that with my understanding of his unconditional love and the commandment to cleave to our spouses and be one. I, like you, have been... Finally blessed to know that Mormonism is bogus. And he goes on and on and on. He says he just has been so heartbroken over the loss of his wife. And like we said last week, listen, God has plans, uh, Wayne, that are far superior to what we can imagine with our uh, eternal lives, including our spouses, including our children, including, I would guess, our pets. I don't know. I got in trouble on that one a few years ago. But uh, uh, look it trust in God. That's what it's all about. Okay. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
0: I'm going to break, I'm going to break my, I'm going to break my rustic cage and run. I'm going to break, i